Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. I thought about it, and I think that the person that's whistling is the bus driver because he's there every week. It could be. Yeah. So he sounds like a, the regular. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a regular. So I think it might be the bus driver, but <laughs> Mike and I were talking for the show. I need to make one more comment to him. So you can ignore this. Mm-hmm. Next time you see one of those seminars, go to it. It's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's um, informative. So do it. If you're interested in that stuff, it's very, very interesting. And it doesn't cost you for the seminar. They got a lot of information. So, Cool. All right. I'll check it out. Thank you. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worth it. <clears throat> yeah. Mike's back. Right. Yes. He was in here last week. He was, he, I, I, like I told you last week, he was not under the weather. He was, uh, oh, I mentioned that you had a slip disc, which anyone's ever had one of those knows the pain. But, um, mm-hmm. With therapy and drugs and yep. you know intervention, divine intervention, he is doing well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have made it <laughs> on the other side of it and uh, surviving. So everything's good. Surviving. Yeah. See, I thought I was. So I, thought I, I would. I, I guess I was here for the for the, the the show on the May third. So I just missed last week's show. I thought I missed like two weeks That's worth all. of shows. Yeah. You okay? You were ill on the third. Yes. You, you were not 100%. You were, right. you know, a little bit down and out. I remember saying I might might have to get out of there early, but I didn't, so, yes. Yeah, you made it through. Now. Okay. Because I have notes but for, then the, last for the show. Week, it was, you know, just <laughs> got, got to you. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do his radio <laughs> show and couldn't do anything. Yeah, so. nope. But he's he's recovering. He's on the road to recovery, which yeah. is a good thing. Thank you. So, <clears throat> it is good. Yeah. We are we are happy about that. And actually, a couple of times last week during the show, I, I said something. I said, "Oh, now this is where Mike would check it out for me and let me know." I, and I can't remember. What it was. Yeah. Okay. And in the background, doing that stuff. That's right. Oh. Oh well. All right. I started yeah. something last yeah. week though. Uh, I found a stack of trivia, wine trivia. And I, I just throw out a little bit of trivia here and there during the show. I threw out four or five little things last week. And I, I'm going to do that until I go through the stack of trivia I have here. Uh, and yeah, just, you know, just different things, stuff that doesn't, yeah, just trivia, um, mm-hmm. quick little trivia. Like this, this one here 
It says, what are corks made of and why are they used to stop wine bottles? The quick answer, corks are punched out of the bark of cork oak trees, most of which grow in Portugal. Corks have been used to stopper wine bottles since wine bottles first came into common use in the 17th century. The reason? Cork is an amazing substance. A one-inch cube contains roughly 200 million 14-sided cells. Cork is almost impermeable by water, difficult to burn, resistant to temperature changes, and vibration does not rot and blocks virtually all outside air from penetrating it. It is highly elastic so that it can be compressed into the neck of a wine bottle, yet it snaps back to its original shape after withstanding as much as 14,000 pounds of pressure per cubic inch. And cork also has the ability to mold itself perfectly to the contour of the container into which it's put, like the neck of a wine bottle. So, but little little bits of, of trivia like that I, I've been throwing in during the show just so, uh, you know, and if people listen to these in archives, they can pause it and write that stuff down. So, uh, this week, our food calendar coming up. Actually, today is National Cherry Cobbler Day and World Baking Day. So if you didn't make a note of that from last week, it is now. Tomorrow, National Pizza Party Day and National Pizza Day. So a good chance to get those pizzas and uh, enjoy them again. I'm sure you do all the time. Saturday, National Devil's Food Cake Day. It's also National Armed Forces Day for those of you who... Uh, really should celebrate that, our branches of the military. Being a veteran myself, I appreciate that. And then Sunday, we have a couple of things. National Quiche Lorraine Day, and it's National Pick Strawberries Day. A little late in the season for picking strawberries, I think, though. That here in Florida, our strawberry season for picking, I, I believe, is might have passed us here. So, but, uh, and then next Tuesday is National Salad Day. So uh, get yourself, and it doesn't say what type, so, you know, you begin to wonder National Salad Day, could that mean egg salad? Could that mean uh, potato salad? I don't know. I When I think salad, I immediately think greens, but who knows? That, <clears throat> excuse me, that's Monday. On Tuesday, National Vanilla Pudding Day. Wednesday, National Taffy Day. If you've ever seen how they make taffy, if you've ever been around, that's always fun and interesting. If you haven't, you ever see a taffy shop that shows you how to make it, it, it's fun to watch how they stretch it out and how they do that. And then, next Thursday, week from today, is National Escargot Day. Oh. Uh, and then next Friday, to give you a preview, next Friday is National Wine Day. Woo! So, we got that coming up over the next week. So, uh, always enjoy in moderation, but enjoy wines with all of those. It always makes for a lot of fun. A few announcements, uh, different things, new products and stuff here that I'm going to pass on to you. First, I received a postcard uh, from... Uh, 
uh, a company in, it's a local company, but they're Long Island Vineyard for Sale.com. Long Island Vineyard for Sale.com, spelled out all the way through, no abbreviations. It is uh, located on the North Fork of Long Island's East End. It says, imagine owning the top vineyard location on the iconic Long Island, New York, North Fork Wine Trail. Featured is a beautifully restored 1861 tasting room nestled on 17 geologic acres with over 800 feet of frontage on the area's main road. The property includes a 25-stall horse barn with paddocks and run-ins. Wow, that sounds more like a horse farm than a winery. The vineyard is conveniently located near the L.I., Long Island, I suppose it is, expressway, with easy access from the Hamptons, a high-volume outlet mall, as well as westernmost destinations like New York City. The family-friendly tasting house yields $1.8 million annual, annually in retail sales, featuring award-winning wines, craft beer, hard cider, and food. So it's not just wine, it's craft beer, too. Quite diversified. Here is a rare opportunity to take over a strong, well-recognized brand and operation on its way to new heights with added retail sales. Wholesale distribution, e-commerce, and increased events. If you'd like to find out more, you don't need to call me on this. You can check this out yourself at longislandvineyardforsale.com. Just like it sounds spelled out, Long Island Vineyard for Sale. So, uh, don't know the cost or anything, but if uh, you'd like to check it out, you can always go to that site. That doesn't mean that you have to. They're not saying, you know, serious inquiries only, like they do a lot of times. So, But uh, it's probably fun to just to see what it has to say and uh, what it's uh, what it's all about. Okay. Uh, a few bits of new items and something. E.J. Gallo Winery announced the launch of a new podcast series with uh, comedian and self-proclaimed wine novice Ben Swartz. The podcast is a miniseries with seven episodes, giving listeners a crash course in wine education. What you're getting at from me, if you want to listen to him, he's a comedian, so he probably has better jokes than I do, so you can check him out. Each episode will contain a breakdown of all things wine, as Swartz sits down with a guest comedian and different winemakers to discuss topics like the effects of barrel aging or the implications of terror and climate. It should be fun. You might check it out. The Wine Down by Wine Dialogues. The Wine Down, D-O-W-M by Wine Dialogues podcast is available for subscription or download via normal podcast applications. Quote, wine is a wonderfully complex and diverse beverage, and that can be intimidating for the casual wine drinker, said is Susan Denovan Brown, who's the publisher of Wine Dialogues by E.J. Gallo. She continues, however, you don't have to be a wine expert to enjoy wine or even talk about it with wine down, which is a sort of a nice plan of words, but I don't know. We wanted to create something that would show people 
you can have as much fun talking about wine as drinking it. So there you go. Wine Down podcast, Wine Down by Wine Dialogues. I guess that would be on uh, Final Ball Talk Radio or YouTube or I'm not sure. But if you're interested, check that out. And again, if you want to know more and I'm not covering the subjects myself, email me. Let me know. I'll be happy to cover it myself. But again, I don't have comedians sitting down with me and a winemaker from different wineries. Although I do have winemakers come on. I've had quite a few of the months, and we'll be doing that again before the summer's out. This is not about wine, but I saw this, and I thought this was quite interesting. You've all seen paint can, oh, not paint, but mineral spirits cans that are used to clean paint. Uh, Go up to any of your Ace Hardware's or Home Depot or Lowe's or any of those, and you can buy yourself a can of mineral spirits. And it just looks like a, a can. Well, Steelhouse Spirits Company has introduced a new Steelhouse Black Bourbon that comes in one of those cans. It's uh, <laughs> sort of an interesting little, just little black can. Uh, it's a blend of corn, rye, barley, and limestone water, distilled and barreled in charred New American oak, and then charcoal filtered. Uh, it's then rested and mellowed in roasted small batch coffee beans, which then gives the um, aroma of caramel and coffee. A smooth balance, nice finish, 40% alcohol by volume, uh, 80 proof, if you will. Uh, it's packaged in the signature stainless steel container, 750 millimeter, milliliter can, which can... Uh, has re- suggested retail price of $29.95, $30 in select markets or online. So if you don't have it in your market, Still House Spirits Company. Uh, also, is going to be available in the 375 milliliter roadie pocket size flax, which is retail for $19.95. But just sort of a cool little thing. I, I saw that and I said, wow, that is interesting. You know, if nothing else. Even if the bourbon's so so, it'd be fun to have that uh, little metal flask to uh, to have to hold it in. Uh, oh, let's see what Another year of rosé. This is uh, a new rosé out by Bontira Organic Vineyards out of Ukiah, California. Uh, Bontira.com is the internet web distributed nationally. Uh, same characteristics of the nineteen uh, of nineteen of the twenty sixteen vintage, Bonterra Organic Vineyards offers a twenty seventeen vintage rosé. Uh, it's made with Grenache base of fruit, crisp, bright flavors. And they all say that about the rosés. It says with aromas of strawberry, key lime, rose water, hints of pineapple, with a palette of ripe peaches, watermelon, and pomegranate. It adds. 13.3% alcohol by volume, made with organic grapes. It is dry, again, at 13.3%. They pretty much fermented out a lot of the sugars, so it's going to be a dry rosé, not a real sweet one. 750 milliliter bottle of it will suggest a retail price of $16 nationwide. So, Bontera, B-O-N-T-E-R-R-A, Bontera.com, rosé. 
And then Splinter Group Spirits out of Santa Rosa, California, with the SplinterGroupSpirits.com, national distribution of a brand of vintage wine estates, uh, making a sweet vermouth. It is uh, a blend of Merlot and Petit Syrah, heightened with fresh tartan cherries, then layered with spices, including smoked black uh, cardamom, star anise, Indian coriander, allspice, thistle, eucalyptus leaf, fino seed, cinnacona, bard, and wormwood. It is sweetened with organic sugar. It's a deep ruby purple color, smoky and exotic on the nose, and fruity on the palate. Uh, the uh, sweet vermouth is nationally available at fine drinking establishment, and it's uh, 17.5% alcohol by volume, packaged in six packs of 375 milliliter bottles, which have a suggested retail price of $25. I've mentioned before, and I will say it again, I'm not a vermouth fan, but that might sound interesting. Uh, some good flavors and Obviously, they're putting some effort into getting that into the type of thing they want. So, sweet vermouth. And uh, another thing here, connecting wine with art and fashion. Fringe Beverage Group of Miami launched a new 750-milliliter graffiti-designed Friends Fun Wine Bottles in New York City. The one-of-a-kind labels for Friends Fun Wine were created by a renowned graffiti artist, Miguel Paredes, who grew up in New York and uh, was a uh, Andy Warhol, a Warhol assistant at his factory. He has created his own explosive design featuring uh, an amalgamation of graffiti, landscape, and pop art. Uh, in a statement, they said, we are certainly thrilled with the overwhelming acceptance of our delicious new flavors and our new bottle designs at the unprecedented levels we are currently experiencing. 5.5% alcohol by volume. Boy, that's low. Uh, Friends Fun Wine is available in three flavors. Coconut Chardonnay. That's a combination you don't hear often. Coconut Chardonnay. Strawberry Moscato and sangria so uh, if you're I don't know it didn't say anything about distribution anywhere other than in New York uh, maybe so you can check out Friends Beverage Group and see if uh, it's available anywhere else or if they can ship it to you or whatever I don't know it doesn't say anything more than that and uh, so maybe it's available at stores but it's now being being launched in New York and yeah, I don't know. So, uh, here we go. I'm have a little bit of trivia for you quickly. Jose Maria de Fonseca uh, Periquita. Periquita. Principal grape, uh, Castillo Frances. Origin, Terras de Sado in Portugal. Retail price, $10. 
Most diehard bargain hunters eventually come across this fact. The delicious dry wines of Portugal are a treasure trove of deals. Uh, Periquito, the name means parrot, has always been one of the great finds. Through a light, although a light brick color, red in color, rather like Pinot Noir, the wine has a ripe and juicy earthiness that's a winning combination. Great candidate for a house red. Never heard of it before. Hmm. So, if you're interested, Portuguese wine. Um, all right, let's see. What are we going to talk about here? Oh, we got quite a few different things. Uh, um, I, uh, I'm hesitating. Uh, there's a long article I found on uh, uh, Brit- Brittmyosin. It's uh, interesting, very interesting article, but it is long. And so I haven't read the whole thing yet. I'm about three-fourths of the way through it. But I will read it and tell you about it. But I want to read it first because I'm not going to go through the whole article and tell you everything in it because there's things in it that I've already read that were, yeah, you can skip over and not do it. Brett is a type of uh, bacteria that is both good and bad. It depends on how you look at it. So we will be discussing Brett at a different time, a week or two from now, once I finish that. But other things for you here. This is interesting. This is uh, coming out of the Press Democrat uh, in, uh, where is the Press? Oh, I can wait. Uh, The Press Democrat is out of, I don't know. No, it doesn't tell me. Whatever. Out of the Press Democrat. The article is about AVAs. For the wine industry, AVAs are a fact of life. But the question is, do they help wine consumers better understand the value and the quality of the bottle of wine? And, you know, so it, it answers that question in this article. And we've talked about AVAs lots of times in the past. AVA, American Viticultural Area, uh, for those who might be listening for the first time. Uh, AVAs are, uh, first one, 1980, was awarded to Augusta, Missouri. Uh, And uh, since then, there has been 240 AVAs approved uh, throughout the United States with a continuing move to add new ones. I, and I mean continuing. There's always, I've read to you about, you know, ones that are available if you want to vote on it and stuff like that, or if you have any reason to do it. You can vote on AVAs if you feel that it's not a good AVA, and if you have reasons, you can vote against them and all. But these numbers, uh, however, beg the question, what is the importance of an AVA to the wine consumer? And does the mention of an ABA on a wine label influence a wine purchase? I can answer that question with a simple no. It doesn't mean anything to a wine consumer, and it doesn't influence them to the typical wine consumer. Now, that's the typical wine consumer. And I I have talked before on the program. There are those in the business 
that do look for AVAs, that do look and understand what AVAs are and the, and the difference it can make. But overall, most people don't even know what they are, which I used to ask at the winery all the time. I'd have a whole group of people in there doing a tasting, and I'd go, wait, I have a question. How many of you know what an AVA is? And I would get zero hands up. It was just that unknown what AVA is. But, and this back to the article, according to the Federal Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Trade, uh, known as TTB, all AVAs have equal status under the law. In practice, though, wine sales show that having Napa Valley or Alexander Valley on a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon carries more weight than, say, Mendocino. But they're all equal under the eyes of the TTB. Uh, Awarding AVA takes into account hard-to-define factors like the strength of the location and image, climate, geography, history. Also, to get approval for an AVA, applicants must show evidence that the proposed AVA is locally or nationally known, which some areas you can do that, some you can't. Which, you know, it's, the American AVA system is not as rigid or exacting as the French AOC, which is how the AVA is based loosely on the French uh, AOC. Uh, in 1935, the French government enacted a codified system known as Appellation d'Original Controle, or AOC, to act as a controlled designation of origin. The AOC system regulates vineyard yield, pruning methods, allowable grape harvest, amount of new oak, uh, really quite strict Uh the ABA American system is nowhere near uh, so strict as that. It just designated areas. There are some rules you have to follow, but it's not like that. Uh, the French work because it's a long history. Uh, for generations, they've done trial and error, and they came up with this. But the New World ABA system, the American ABA system, uh, has some rules uh, covering agricultural practices and techniques, uh, but not uh, not strict. They say that it disrupts the vine's biological balance, causing the wines to lose their uh, typicity of the area. Uh, supporters of the ABA system argue that the clout, a particular appellation like Napa Valley Welds, is immeasurable in sales. Well, people know Napa Valley. I don't think they buy it because AVA. I don't think they're buying it because they know it's an AVA. I'm editorializing here again, which you know I do all the time. But I don't think they buy it. Oh, this is a Napa Cabernet Sauvignon. And I don't think they understand that they're they're mentioning that Napa is the AVA. It's just that the fact that it is Napa. And look, I've got a Napa Cabernet Sauvignon. And I think most people are at that level. So, uh it's it's just a broad uh, uh, critics say that it's just the USABA is just too simplistic and too broad to, to make decisions like that. Uh, one example of the broad diversity of ABA system is the state of AVAs in Sonoma County. Okay, Sonoma County currently 
as 17 Sonoma County AVAs. 17. They range from uh, unknown cool climate of Sonoma Coast to the warmer, more popular Alexander Valley, which you may have heard, and Sonoma Valley AVAs. So 17 in Sonoma County, you'd be hard-pressed to say any more than the three I just mentioned. They also, critics like to point out the two AVAs in Northern California, North Coast AVA and San Francisco AVA, which basically illustrates the uselessness of it because AVA, uh, the North Coast AVA was approved in 1983 and covers more than 3 million acres stretches out over six counties, includes parts of Sonoma and Mendocino counties, which have like, you know, they have all those. And they are, within this vast area, there's a bunch of smaller ones, more focused ones. You've got Petaluma Gap ABA, which is in the North Coast ABA. And the latest uh, just approved has been the Petaluma Gap ABA. you know, it just, it, it gets, I don't know, I, I'm a fan of ABAs, but I think it's getting a little bit ridiculous in, in the overlaps, the considerable overlap. Uh, the North Coast ABA has such a diversity of soil types and climate types and all that, it's hard to say that ABAs created a unique type system, a unique type area, because things like the Mississippi Valley ABA, that covers... It runs up and down the Mississippi River uh, for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Again, how can that be? But, again, challenging the uh, for consumers, uh, equally challenging consumers' sense of the San Francisco Bay AVA. This was approved in 1999. This AVA covers more than 1.5 million acres. Okay, the other one up there, uh, we just stated, let's see, where, North Bay, 3 million. This is a little over half that. But this San Francisco Bay AVA includes the counties of San Francisco, Alameda, Contra Costa, which is a lot of wineries there, San Mateo, Santa Clara, and parts of San Benito and Santa Cruz. And the larger San Francisco Bay AVA contains smaller AVAs like Santa Clara Valley and Livermore Valley. So, understandable. It's, you know, when wineries are located within a smaller AVA, they prefer to use the local name rather than the larger one. But they can. You won't, you seldom will see a San Francisco Bay AVA on a label. I can't think of any that I've ever seen myself. Wineries, though, like Winty and the Livermore Valley, uh, are labeling it Livermore Valley, San Francisco Bay, which people probably don't realize that San Francisco Bay is the ABA also. Uh, and just what this next line here says, it could be argued that Livermore Valley is not part of what is commonly known as the San Francisco Bay, since it is a ways away from it. Um, American viticulture on a bottle is a wine of wine is a value to the consumer is up to each wine buyer. Perhaps the one answer is found in the conclusion of at the 2018 Washington Wine Growers Convention. 
The attendees predicted a new trend in wine buying away from the wineries listing great names and ABAs and toward branded wines such as Kung Fu Grill and Charles Smith Wines and 19 Crime Wines from Treasury Wine Estates. People aren't looking at AVAs, they're not looking at the type, they're just looking at the the wines themselves. Um, so that's this writer here, Gerald Boyd, says that that's maybe why people buy it more than anything. It, it, you know, people buy it by the type. I mean, Cabernet Sauvignon, oh, I love a good Cabernet. They don't know why. They you know they don't know a diversity. They find wines they like and they continue to buy those all the time. And say, so, oh, I love Cabernets. You throw in Cabernet that well, well. My example has always been: you can go down to Walmart and pick up a three ninety nine bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon, or you can pick yourself up a hundred dollar bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes, they are both Cabernet Sauvignons. No, they are nothing alike. So. But ABAs, I, yeah. familiarize yourself with ABAs. Whenever I talk to anybody anywhere and all that, I always ask them if they're in an ABA and if uh, uh, they're anywhere around one. And most of the time, uh, a lot of them are, but it just it boils down to the fact that people aren't familiar with it. Okay, this one is also an interesting little article. The real difference between cool climate and warm climate wines. There is a difference. A lot goes into making the wines. And the difference of the cool climate and the warm climate do make a difference. How it's interpreting the bottle. Uh, It's grapes in cooler regions. Oops. I mean, uh, knowing it's cool climate wine can uh, was produced, it helps you narrow it down to what you're looking for. Adventures from Ontario, Canada to Austria have promoted cool climate wines as uh, a, a riper styles that have been popular for the last two decades. And during the particular harvest to a winemaker that intentionally shoots for uh, an opulence, the Climate plays the most pivotal role in a wine's expression. Winemakers know that wine grapes grow best in climates that aren't too tropical. Okay, uh, Suitable climate is between 30 degrees and 50 degrees latitude. Basically both north and south. It's not quite the same south, a little bit smaller area. But 30 degrees to 50 degrees latitude both north, north and south. And so this is a a certain climate there that you're going to get these wines. Now, it will vary. Fluctuations of elevation is going to change that in cool climate, warm climate. I mean, you can go to Napa Valley, which is a low elevation, and then you can travel up to the foothills of California, and start getting to higher elevations, which makes a difference on if it's warm climate or cool climate. Uh, example, uh, uh, you know, Chile, the valleys of Chile as opposed to the hills and, and mountains of it makes makes a big difference. Sonoma's Petaluma Gap, which is the newest AVA we just talk, talked about, has real cooling air coming up through the valley. So, 
elevations and things will make a difference. But grapes from cooler regions typically don't ripen as quickly, which results in lower sugars and higher acid. Now, this is the one of the basics here you can always look at, lower sugars and higher acids. These wines are often described as elegant, nuanced, fresh. Tart flavors like cranberry, raspberry, sour cherry, green apple are common in these cooler climate wines. And you also find black pepper spice, especially in wines like a Syrah or something, and earthiness or even forest floor. Uh, again, cool climate wines like a Pinot Noir. Uh, many grapes, Chardonnay, Chenin Blanc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, uh, to name some specific ones, simply produce all different wines depending on where they are grown. Again, the floor of a, a area or the hills of an area. It really depends. Uh, the cool climates of a Cabernet and a Bordeaux region shows a herbal, savory, gravelly character with drier tannins, but the warmer areas in Napa, you start losing the herbal notes and you uh, start taking on ripe blackberry fruit and, and much softer tannins. Climate. Uh, but not all grapes thrive in all climates. Uh, some will and are better suited to cooler climates, while others are better for warmer, sunny climates. Grapes that adapt well to the cooler climate, Riesling, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris, Gewurztraminer Demeanor for Whites, and uh, Pinot Noir, Zeisvelt. Z- 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 for reds. Zinfandel and Grenache and Syrah also common in warmer climates. But how does the climate affect it? Okay. They face challenges in what the climate might be. Winters could kill your grapes. So if you get too cold, uh, polar vortexes, and we've all heard that now because the weather people are making that term famous that uh, seem to be, you know, all the time you hear it in the winter, can wipe out entire vintages. Finger Lakes, Ontario, there's areas. Gorge and Chablis, Burgundy and Bordeaux have suffered some, some devastating losses because of spring frost. That just happened, I think, last year or two. Also, the summer growing season is too short or cool. Grapes won't ripen fully. This is why many cooler regions allow chapelization, which is the addition of sugar to the must so that the alcohol levels can increase during fermentation. And that's what you're doing. You're, you're fermenting out the sugars to make alcohol. If your wines, uh, I'm sorry, if your grapes are not on the vine long enough, the sugar is not concentrated high enough so when you pick, you will get lower bricks or lower sugar levels uh, percentage. The cooler climates have a shorter growing season, so therefore some areas do allow an addition of sugars called chapelization to increase the alcohol levels and it you know ferments it out. And they know how much to add. I mean, it's not like I'm going to add myself, you know. 50 pounds of uh, 
80 bricks sucrose to this and then only firm out ferment out uh, equivalent of 20 pounds and the rest of it is sugar making a sweet wine. It doesn't happen really that way. Other cool reasons, uh, Champagne, uh, Germany Moselle, uh, Central Otago Valley in New Zealand, Chile, uh, California Sonoma Coast. These uh, wines are giving you that Christmas, the cool climate uh, taste to it. Now, there is also a misconception that reds can't ripen properly in cool climates, uh, but that's they can. It's you know you see it. Uh, Niagara can be as hot as many warmer climates can. Uh, Niagara Peninsula, uh, Canada's Niagara Peninsula. Uh, the continental cool climate comes from very hot growing season followed by long fall cool nights which, you know, Lower Valley, Niagara, areas like that, you're going to get the same. So, the question is, are warm climate grapes better than cool climate grapes? Yeah. Given all the troubles endured in cooler climates, warmer temperatures should be the way to go, you think. But, no, not really. More sunshine, constant weather, and a longer full ripe, uh, fall ripening period Produce wines that possess a fuller body and more flavor. And that's what you're looking for. Uh, grapes ripen faster and accumulate more sugars, which results in higher alcohol during fermentation. And it also dominates uh, the grapes, uh, the wines with the dark fruits like plum, blueberry, blackberries, and even the wines that exhibit chocolate notes. This is from Warm Finance. Uh, the uh, warm climate viticulture has this problem too. Growers often struggle to retain acidity, which dips as sugars accumulate, and keeping their wines tasting fresh um, rather than uh, flabby, stewed, shapeless, some of the words used. Uh, the winery steps can um, be um, uh, at the winery steps can be employed to help uh, the addition of acid, even lowering alcohol levels. Uh, which is a controversial but pretty common practice in commercial wineries. Um, most winemakers actually look to prefer a balanced wine uh, more so than just lowering alcohol levels. Also, grapes in hotter climates tend to have thicker skins, which contribute to more tannins. The battle to ensure the resulting wine doesn't need a decade of aging to get what you want. Uh, growing regions around the Mediterranean Sea, southern France, Spain, Greece, uh, similar weather as uh, uh, is considered warm climate areas, uh, and also areas south Australia, Argentina, California, and South Africa, all warm climate areas. And, you know, if you think about the grapes coming from these styles, the, the Syrahs, from Barossa, the rich Southern Rhone, Grenache, Syrah, Maverde blends, the dense Melbec uh, from California, the Zimindoles coming out of uh, Lodi, all warm climate wines. But 
not all these rules apply all the time, as is anything. There are exceptions. Uh, cooler sites and warmer regions are used and used to great advantage. Uh, different areas within warmer areas, depending on the influence of the water around it, depending on the influence of the season, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, basically people perceive cool climate as a weakness, but it's really in the Niagara regions and stuff like that, it's a strength. They they know how to grow the grapes. They know what grapes are growing and all that. So cool climate versus warm climate, you know, uh, there's no no answer. One style is is the same as the other. None is better. None is worse. The uh, it's delicate delicate versus powerful. If you're looking for something softer for your meal, go to cool climate wines. Uh, if you're looking for something that's powerful, the uh, strong wine, go go with the warm climate. And uh, I know. There's there's a, a use for all of them. The basic thing is in your in your cool climates, you are going to uh, cool climates will give you the uh, I lost my place here. Uh, higher sugars, uh, I'm sorry, lower sugars and higher acid, which um, Will tend to give you less, more of a, of a bite, but they can about and balance that out quite a bit in the making of it. So, whatever you like, whatever you choose: Chardonnay, Chenin Blanc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec. Um, when you say you like any of those, uh, check and see where you're getting them and what climate the grapes are growing in, because they can grow in either one and give you different wines. So uh, there you go with that. Let me read you a little bit of trivia here. The traveling wine lover goes to Asia. Going to China or Vietnam. Many Asian countries now make wine. So if you're a win and Rome kind of traveler, you've got an adventure ahead. And Vietnam, one of the most popular types of wine, has a pleasing yellow color. Uh, regrettably, at least from you know American point of view, bottles also have a large snake's head in them, or a faux snake, which are said to imbue the drinker with special powers. I have seen, I have not drank, bottles with a snake in it. I didn't care for special powers, so I didn't drink it. In China, grapes like uh, Boshun, uh, Gungalang, number one, and Shishan, number one, are turned in each year into millions of cases of mostly sweet red wine. For travelers with more conventional taste, China and Vietnam also import wines from other places, uh, Bordeaux, California, Australia. So if you're in those places, uh, try the local fare. But you can always find ones from other places too. I, I don't know. I just never, never could bring myself to drink a wine that had a dead snake in it. I just, 
you know, and I'm not I'm not adverse to trying just about anything, but well, that's one thing that you know, one thing that just uh, a new study refutes the wine will kill you nonsense. You know, we've seen different things, and I reported different things about how wine's bad for you and all that stuff. A few weeks ago, uh, the media had a uh, thing that went crazy with the claim that an extra glass of wine will take 30 minutes off your life. So, you know, if you have your one glass, your second one, you can just start, you know, take 30 minutes, a couple extra glasses of wine, you can just knock an hour off your life at the end there. Uh, Now they're saying, no, that's not true. They blame this on the journal and the authors who um, deserve an equal share of this poorly designed study. They said it has numerous glaring flaws, and it was published for sensationalism and not for fact. Uh, the uh, a uh, paper published on behalf of the American Heart Association shows the exact opposite. In fact, it even says that moderate drinking can increase and give you a healthy lifestyle. Uh, five factors are linked to longer life. The authors analyzed, and this was a big study, 78,865 women and 44,354 men. And they were looking at the five factors uh, had on the risk of death. One, never smoking. Two, body mass index, uh, BMI of 18.5 to 24.9. Three, 30 plus minutes per day of moderate to vigorous physical activity. And four, moderate alcohol intake. And five, a high diet quality score. Uh, The results are shown in this chart, which this chart is confusing, I think. But... uh, uh, deaths resulting from any cause show that moderate alcohol intake uh, or drinking was rather low on the chart. And uh, high diet quality also scored rather low on the chart. Uh, the authors also examined each factor separately. Uh, and the results for alcohol consumption is showing that uh, <coughs> excuse me, alcohol consumption is showing that people who drink 15 to 30 grams per day, which is roughly two drinks, had almost exact same risk of death as those who had one drink per day. So. One, two, doesn't make a difference. It's not going to kill you. New release, new report. Obviously, as we've said before, moderation is the key, but you don't have to worry. One drink and be done, and you you don't have to worry about shortening your life, which is a good thing. I mean, I'll tell you why a lot of people I know on borrowed time if an extra drink shortens their life. 
And, okay, let me go to another one here, and I'll end with this next one. Uh, earliest, where is it? Earliest known winery found. Now, we've heard about grapes being found, our wine being found in different places. We've read about wine popping up in, in early digs and all this, but the earliest known winery was found in an Armenian cave near the village of Ar, uh, Arini, Arini, A-R-E-N-I. The same cave where a preserved 5,500-year-old leather moccasin was uh, stunningly preserved, they say in the article. Leather moccasin was recently found. They have unearthed a wine press for stomping grapes, fermentation, and storage vessels, including drinking cups and withered grape vines, skins, and seeds. Wow. This is the earliest, most reliable evidence of wine production, says archaeologist Gregory Arshayan. He's from UCLA, University of California, LA. For the first time, we have complete archaeological picture of wine production dating back 6,100 years. So there you go. It's not something that's new. It's not something that's just just now. 6,100 years. Uh, Equipment was first detected in 2007, but in 2010, archaeologists completed the evacuation of the the vat buried in the shallows and... uh, with the cleaning out, the installation suggests the Copper Age ventures pressed their wine with old-fashioned way, using their feet. Juice from the trampled grapes drained into a vat was left to ferment. The wine was then stored in jars. Uh, cool, dry condition of the cave would make a perfect wine cellar. Uh, to test whether the vat jars in the Armenian cave had held wine, the team chemically analyzed pottery shreds and it had been radiocarbon dated to between 4100 B.C. and 4000 B.C. The chemical test revealed traces of malvadin, which is the plant pigment largely responsible for red wine's color. Uh, It's the best chemical indicator for the presence of wine that they know of. So it, it worked there. Combined with malvadin and radiocarbon evidence, traces of tartaric acid would then substantiate that the facility is the earliest yet found. Uh, they said the discovery uh, is important and unique because it indicates the large-scale wine protection, which would imply that the grapes have already been domesticated. They weren't wild grapes. They obviously had a vineyard. Uh, they uncovered chemical and archaeological evidence of wine, but not of a winery. So uh, around uh, the... Uh, I'm, I'm looking at something here, which I didn't don't remember. To preserve the wine, uh, tree resin would have probably been added so the end result may actually have been more like a Greek retsina, which is made with tree resin. Uh, Twenty barrels have been identified around the wine pressing installation. There was a cemetery in the wine production in the K 
cave was related to the ritualistic aspect of the cemetery, they speculate. So, uh, uh, wine, vine growing heralded the emergence of new sophisticated forms of agriculture. The uh, site gives them new insights into the earliest phase of horticulture and how they first grew orchards and vineyards. From a social perspective, alcohol beverages change the way we interact with each other in society, which still is true. We Alcohol does change how we interact. Um, so, there we go. This is it for this week. Wow. Um, okay. Oh, the... No, it isn't. Ooh. I've got one other thing. I've got one other thing. Okay. Uh, you, on your... Uh, your new uh, uh, tweet timer? Yes. Popped up something new on Facebook. Right. And uh, it's. Uh, well, let's see where it is. Find it. Archive. Uh, let's see. That goes there. That goes there. And. And that goes there, and that goes there, and here we are. <laughs> Facebook. Okay. Uh, popped up something on Facebook. If you're not signed up for us on Facebook, do so. Uh, All About Wine dash uh, Facebook, and we pop stuff in there, and Mike is throwing things in there every once in a while that he finds. Twitch Twitter throws stuff in there, and we're, we're trying to keep up on this. But this latest one he just threw in there was, and if I can find it, which I can't, but it was talking about the 10 highest places Don't. to drink. Yes. In, I think it was eight, world. Eight, eight of eight. the world's most extreme drinking destinations. Okay, okay, that's what it was. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah, I read through that. A very interesting little article, little, interesting little thing. My daughter is a subscriber to uh, the Facebook page, and hopefully my daughter is a listener uh, to uh, my program, which I don't think she is as much as she says she is. But I talked to my daughter, <laughs> and she said, that <laughs> she said that she has been to the one in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I saw it coming. She said, really, really cool. She said, it's just, you know, you get up there and, it gives a. She was up at night. It just gives a fascinating view of Las Vegas as you're traveling around. It's just a 360 degree mm-hmm. bar and keeps going. And she said, just a gorgeous view of, of Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. uh, I had a testimony to one of those. But uh, check out that list. Check out those things on there. It's, it's fun. It's a fun read. And yeah. Uh, well, some of some of them are normal. Some of them are just you know, oh, you're on a balcony on a big building, you know, high building or something. Okay, I got that. But the the first one, and I put a little comment that, that you know on the tweet when I saw it. You're basically dangling off of a crane, you know. Yeah, I don't well, know that was how many hundreds of something. I was like, no, there's no need for that. And they show a little table around this thing, and oh, they're all just you know eating or whatever and having their you know, their beverage and everything. I said, no, there's no need for that. I mean, that's, there's too many too many things that can go wrong there. You know? Open yourself just, up to a bottle of wine on the ground instead of doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know I saw that too. And it, 
Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. But a crane yeah. actually lifts up this great big, like a platform with the yeah with yeah, the tables like the and chairs and yeah. And the tables all around the outside, and they've got the bartender inside, and, and you know, and you can order stuff. And I don't know if you did it, Mike. You can click on the little thing there, and it shows mm. you where it's going to be for the rest of the year. Mm. It, yeah. it has mm. a schedule of where this is going to happen for the rest of the year. It bounces oh, so around. It it's in Europe. Yeah, oh. it travels, and and it's in Europe. It's it's not mm-hmm. never here in the states, but it's, it's all over Europe. There's all sorts of places there all over Europe, and everything that. Uh, uh, it, it goes to and it's just a great wow. just a fascinating yeah uh, it, fascinating it's fascinating little thing that, <laughs> so uh, uh, so yeah that. check that out it, just, it was just a fascinating little thing there and uh, yeah. let's see why is this popping oh, I this? looked up uh, um, Long Island Vineyard for Sale dot com uh, did you? What, what you yes uh the land and structures are valued at three million dollars, and the price for this sale is four million five hundred thousand dollars. There you go, four and a half million. Yeah, hey, yeah. they're saying it brings in a, over a million. In, what does this say here? It says uh, one point eight million dollar annual sales. So you can have that money back in what two and a half years. Mm, yeah, probably a little more than that. Say three years. Three years, you can have your have your money back. Then you have, so. then you have taxes. You have, you know, that there's there's oh, other things yeah. that have to come out of that money. Maybe uh, maybe then five. Says, then it says, please do not divulge the contemplated sale of our vineyard to our staff or to anyone else. I'm I'm guessing that means like if you for instance you decide to buy it next week. Um, you're not going to call them up and say, oh, by the way, this is Ron. I'm your new boss, or, you know, I just purchased it. I guess that's what they meant. I, originally, I was reading that, and I go, so they don't want people to know about it, but yet they put it on this website. You know, they don't want their people or yeah, anybody they, else to know. But it, the information is here, so I'm thinking that's what they meant. Like, if you bought it next week, and I'm not saying you are. Well, you could, but, that, you know, because you have 4500000 laying around that you're like, hey, you know what? That looks like a good we deal. Would, but, uh, we would yeah. have to sell the jet, so I don't think I will. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, so no. I, I guess they mean don't call them and say, oh, by the way, this is Ron. I'm, I, I just purchased the place. Is, uh, you know, whoever there, you know, that kind of thing. I guess that's what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, um, sounds like. <laughs> that's probably it. The uh, Press Democrat is located in Santa Rosa, California. Oh, so uh, is it? Oh. Yep, established in 1897 and uh, part of... Uh, Sonoma Media Investments. So there you go. Looked up those things. Yeah, I, I thought it was their sign, but they didn't say. Yeah. Why don't they say on the newspaper? That thought. Uh, Dinner in the Sky. Uh, mm. Let's see. We got uh, Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur. It's now oh, wow. through the end of December. Baran in, uh, at Manama, January 18th and 28th. So that's over. Uh, Mexico, Guadalajara, that's over. Then in May 13th, the Athens, Greece, uh, April 24th through September 24th. Um, Theo I think that's how it's pronounced. Mexico, May 
19th and 20th, and June 16th and 17th. Brussels, Belgium, June 11th to 24th. Vienna, Austria, June 12th to the 17th. Cancun, Mexico, July 1st to August 31st. London, England, July 5th to the 15th. Monaco at Monte Carlo, July 14th to the 28th. Estonia, Estonia rather, at Tallinn, July 19th to the 23rd. And let's see, Estonia, where am I? France, Monaco, July 14th to the 24th. Helsinki, Finland, August 7th to the 12th. Latvia at Riga, August 15th to the 18th. Lithuania, Vilnius, Lithuania, August 27th, 26th. Antwerp, Belgium, September 18th, 23rd. Vienna, Austria, September 6th to the 16th. And Monterey, Mexico, October 11th to November the 4th, all this wow. year. But all over the place. But, you know, I just, I'm, I was looking at the dates earlier, and, I, and they, they really don't, but they do. I was going to say they really don't overlap, but they do overlap. And so they must have two of those big cranes and big things that go around because hmm. there's no way they're going to get uh, from, well, here you go. Uh, Cancun, Mexico is July the 1st to the 31st, and London, England, July 5th to the July 15th. So they have to have a second one. Yeah. Know, and stuff like that. So, and they, the diner in the sky. It's just that's what it is. But interesting, mm. interesting little things there. Uh, speaking of London, England, uh, Saturday morning, everybody get up at four o'clock to watch the royal wedding. Saturday mm. <laughs> <laughs> is the my sleep-in day, so good luck with that. But, yeah, uh, I know. It's not going to happen with me either. It. I can sleep in everything. <laughs> you can enjoy. Yeah. I'll catch the replay. I'll wait for the, yeah, I'll wait for the DVD. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't Bump know. I just, uh, okay. <laughs> then we probably just made some people mad. How can you How can you say that about our beloved, I don't know, what do you call them? She's not a, she's not a, she's, she's not a princess. Is she? Well, she no, become she's a princess. Yeah, she is a okay. commoner. Uh, a commoner. When, uh, when they get when, married, uh, she'll be a princess. Hmm. Yeah, she, she gets a title. Um, hmm. When uh, Kate and, and a car. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a car. You get a car. <laughs> and you get a car. Uh, That's right. You get a car. But I don't like these cars. Too bad. Kate and what's his name? Um, um, no, not oh. Harry. Harry. No, Kate and Kate Philip. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The 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 princess now. Uh, when they got married, I was at the winery, and actually they got married on my birthday. That's why I remember the date. But when they got married, I had four women from London. <clears throat> excuse me. That stopped by the winery, and during the the weekend of the ceremony, and I asked them. I said, Why aren't you? There for the wedding, and all four of them looked like looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> and they go, 
Well, it will be lovely, but we just don't think we should stay there for it. I go, oh, <laughs> didn't pursue it, but they weren't they weren't uh, they weren't fans or something. <laughs> uh, all right. I suppose if you lived in in, in uh, England. And they're spending as much money for a royal family, which really means nothing. Uh, some people would get quite upset about that. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Be a major, I don't uh, have, major TV. Yeah, event. I don't have any English friends to ask them. You know, so I, mean, I can't. But yeah, I don't know. But. Uh, <laughs> If you're going to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, then don't call me. I will not answer right. the phone. Um, all right. I guess we will close the show down for this week, and uh, we'll see everybody next Thursday, um, May 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio and in the archives. And that last week's show you did, it, it's got a bunch of listeners on it just for the one week so far. It's been it's amazing. Really? Um, yeah. Um we will, um, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the reasons, if I am interrupt, is that new uh, twit timer you found. I think that's really helping. It's, it's putting the word Probably. out there. I think so. You know. It's getting some, some use out of it, so that, that's good. Um, that's good. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, social, social no. media is... Uh, well, thanks. If, if you're listening, uh, thanks. thanks. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you uh, tune in again uh, for this show, obviously. Otherwise, you won't hear this. But uh, And uh, yeah, next yeah. week, we'll see you all on the 24th. Cool. Yep. Have a good week, and thanks a lot. Enjoy the Have a good week. Thank royal, you. Royal wedding. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Or the Preakness. The what? The Preakness? Preakness. Preakness. Preakness oh. is Saturday. Oh. Second leg of that. the Triple Crown. Wow. Yeah, so. Okay. Well, that's a big deal. You know, the horse race. <laughs> only only three horse races I watch is the Kentucky Derby, Preakness, and Belmont. And just to see if, you know, a horse wins the Triple Crown or wins all three of them, which they did a couple years ago. Our last, you know, a couple years ago. So, but that was Saturday evening, too. So. Wow. But if you get up at 4 o'clock for the wedding, you might not stay awake for the Preakness at 6 o'clock so on that evening. Yeah. Too. Right. <laughs> They'll probably still have TV oh. coverage through it, so yeah. That's right. Uh, the uh, wedding. <laughs> enjoy wine in moderation this yeah. week. If you're watching the wedding, enjoy it in moderation, and we'll see mm-hmm. you all next week. All right, <laughs> we'll see you. Thanks. <laughs> this concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine.